Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is the trigger warning. Uh, We're going to be talking about horror culture, which could involve subjects uh, including murder, rape, suicide, child abuse. There will be harsh language. So if that's not your cup of tea, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Bring, bring in the kids. Yeah, there you go. I, that was, as is tradition, mid-trigger warning, I, I drop F-bomb because yeah. it's kind of official. <laughs> it's just what he does. It's, it's, it's how I do. Jesse <laughs> Frank. All right, so we've got the trigger warning out of the way. And if you're new here, we talk about horror culture and psychology stuff. It's a fun podcast. Welcome to the show. In addition to that, I have a webcomic that I'm currently working on called Pieces. You can find that at piecesofflesh.com. It's about a family of ghouls that live underneath an island in New York City. Yeah, that's a weird thing to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Steve is the psychology buff half of this show. He has a book that he published called The um, Guide to the Recovery Toolbox. Thank you. I almost had it. <laughs> Guide to the Recovery Toolbox. It's got some very useful things in there and, and some interesting insights into psychology. And in other news, we are now on Discord and Twitch. Some really cool shit going on in the Discord servers. We post listen parties there. We also have watch parties or uh, watch. What, what do you call them? Are they watch parties or watch gatherings? Parties. Watch parties. I'll go with parties. Just don't don't tell Boris Johnson about it. He's not allowed to party. Yeah, right. <laughs> we uh, we partner with a sister server, so we do listen parties on our Discord server, and then the other sister server uh, is where we do the watch parties, but eh, whatever. And on the Twitch side of things, uh, Steve has started posting videos of uh, him editing the show on Twitch, so yep. if you're interested in things like uh, audio editing, you can check that out as well. Or, just in general, if you like what we're doing, you can also hop over to Patreon and you know, give us a donation, buy a coffee, in addition to that, on Patreon, uh, all Patreon listeners get access to the full recording. So we edit these down, as I was just discussing on the Twitch thing. And they're, they're trimmed down uh, quite a bit, so you know you don't have to listen to sometimes three to four hours of audio. But <laughs> if you'd like to get the full experience, you can subscribe over on our Patreon. And in addition, and words... <laughs> If you subscribe to Patreon, you get access to the full audio in addition to some other things like T-shirts, right? Uh, we have yet to determine that, but we yeah, we got to work out the different uh, levels of uh, subscriptions and what they get uh, at different levels. But um, T-shirts could potentially be in there. Yeah. So with that said, coming up in the near future, we will be... Speaking with authors Paula D. Ash, Chandler Morrison, and Cody Goodfellow. Also directors Eduardo Sanchez and Lucky McKee. Looking forward to that one. Actors John Fallon and Rebecca Kennedy. And Rodrigo, Rodrigo Gudino. 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 There's an, there is an Enya. Yes, Enya. Enya, not the band. <laughs> CEO of the website Remorg, for those who yeah. know. Yes. But today. But today, we have the pleasure of the company of Miss Sarah Langan, author known for such works as The Missing, Audrey's Door, and Good Neighbors. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having <laughs> me. Glad to be here. Our pleasure. 
Yes. Anything you want to plug before we get into the meat of the interview? Yeah. I mean, Good Neighbors is still out. Mm-hmm. Everyone should buy it. They should buy it for friends. <laughs> they should use it for reasons other than reading. You know, just like a <laughs> doorstop. Like 30 of them to make like a, a, a collage <laughs> by Good Ooh. Neighbors. You can make a book for it. Yes. Yeah. Make a fort. There's so many uses. Yeah. So. Doghouse. <laughs> you could live in a good neighbor's house. Yes. Ooh. Made out of a good neighbor book. Ooh. So. Uh, so in this interview, we'll be asking three sets of questions covering your childhood, teenage years, and adulthood to find out what it is about horror that you like. The idea being that we've interviewed enough people, we might start to find some interesting common themes, maybe some unexpected ones as well. Uh, that set is not meant to be a therapy session. So if there's any questions that you don't want to answer, just say pass and we'll move on. Um, also for the listeners, if you need to dip out, we strongly suggest coming uh, back to listen to the end of each episode because that's often the best part because you know, at the end, we'll try to go back through everything that's happened in the call and, and see if we can find some common theme and not every time, but sometimes we even identify things that the guest themselves hadn't even picked up on. Sometimes it's stuff that they are already aware of, or, you know, sometimes even we, we don't find anything at all, of course, but you know, it's not a, not a thousand percent batting average, but that's often where the best stuff is. So if you do have to drop out, uh, definitely come back and check out the rest. But um, starting with childhood, what are some of your earliest memories of scary things? Let me think. Like I loved these books called Dory the Good Witch. Hmm. They were like children's books when I was in kindergarten. But what w- it wasn't scary. So my earliest scary memories were Dracula. Okay. I was like freaked out, but also like attracted to Dracula when I was like four and five. Yeah. And, uh, and I think poltergeist scared me. Like I saw that in the theater and I remember telling my family, like, uh, <laughs> being like, this is dumb. This could <laughs> never happen. It's so funny. It's so funny and it's not scary. And then for three nights, I had to sleep with my mom and my dad was like, <laughs> like, <laughs> on the couch my bed was too little <laughs> you're saying that it was dumb at the beginning of the movie and then get scared as it went on i think that i told myself like in in when you're in company and with people anything isn't scary right you can mm. watch dawn of the dead and go yeah, it's funny and then when you're alone with your thoughts then it's scary mm-hmm. and i think that was what happened maybe a little bravado going on <laughs> yeah so much bravado <laughs> okay that or maybe like when you're alone with your thoughts when you're watching the film you know you're you're wrapped up in the story of it it's a constant forward motion whereas when you're alone with your thoughts all that stops you don't have anything to pay attention to and you're just alone with your thoughts that their their entire goal is to just terrify you well and you could also be going back and rethinking about things that you didn't really have time to think about because the story continued on Mm -hmm. well also you know i i was like Who's afraid of clowns? That's so funny. I'm not afraid of clowns. And then like my room was covered. It was like the year where birthday presents were like, I don't, I'm from Long Island and there was a store called world imports at the Roosevelt field mall. And like everybody got their presents for birthday parties from there. And they were always like these wall hangings that were like an ice cream cone. That's a stuffy that you hang. And I had like three clowns that people had given me. So I had like three clowns (laughs) hanging on the wall in my room. 
And I took them off and I threw them in the closet. And I was like, well, now I've given the closet power. You know? <laughs> now there actually is something in the closet. <laughs> One of our recent guests joked about, uh, what was it she threw under her bed? And Chris made that same point. He was like, well, that's a good place to put it. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. now that- yeah. yeah, I get the freezer. Yeah, I took Summer of Fear when I was uh, in seventh grade or sixth grade going into seventh grade. And I, I put it outside because the cover was so upsetting. And I was like, I, I can't finish the book or I'll be up all night. So I have to, it has to be outside now. <laughs> you, you learned from the, from the clowns. Yes. <laughs> Won't make that mistake again. Uh, so Dracula, what you mentioned, you were freaked out, but also attracted. Let's start with the freaked out part. What, what freaked you out about it? We know that he would come and take you away, okay. right? Yeah, I mean, I think that was interesting and that he was seen as a villain. But honestly, he was so sexualized Mm. in that era, I think in the early 80s, where it was like, but it was like hot and it was confusing. Like, (laughs) like, and I remember being like, is he bad? (laughs) Because, and that's, honestly, it's not so different from the the novel Dracula. Right. Where it's Mm -hmm. like, are these guys, you know, Van Helsing and Harker and all these people surrounding is it Mina, the one who doesn't, or Lucy? It's Mina. Are they good for her, or would she be better off with Dracula? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Now I'm just picturing Van Helsing and company going, are we the baddies? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm surprised that you were picking up on that at five. Yeah, that too. I, I didn't want to, well, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, no, let's dive into that, shall we? Like, I'm like, should I have said anything about that? It wasn't something I talked about, you know. This is a half psychology like, show. Never, you're in, you're in, uh, okay, company for such topics. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. No, I remember just being like so curious, mm. you know, and it was sort of, yeah. I'm not surprised because even myself, I remember being, well, I guess five, that would have even been preschool. I mean, for me, I think I, started become becoming definitely aware of sexuality, probably like second or third grade. But I think I was aware of it prior to that, just not as overt. I might've been older than that. I don't know. Somewhere in there. I would, yeah, yeah may have been like second grade or something. Well, but yeah. what I was getting at is that I can, I can understand being aware of it, but thinking that, you probably were aware of it, but not in the wording that you're using right now. Does that make sense? No, no. I think at the time I just was curious, right. you know, but I also liked what's his face from the A team, you know, and, and I, I knew I liked him, you know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right. Uh, you mentioned summer of fear. What was, um, what did you like or dislike about that? I loved the site. Well, first off, the cover had this woman's face and like half of it was normal and half of it was monster. Hmm. And it freaked me out, you know, like that. And the idea of that story is that a person can come into your family and seem kind and seem normal. And then they're like an imposter and they're Hmm. trying to destroy everything Mm -hmm. and you can't figure it out until it's too late. So that was freaky. That was really freaky. Okay. Uh, anything else uh, ring a bell while we're talking about? You know, we used to have blackouts from mm-hmm. hurricanes and stuff, and those would always upset me. Oh, and there was one time we were at, um, we'd taken my brother to camp in Maine, 
and my parents and I rented a house on, I think it was called Lake St. Catherine in Vermont. And they should have warned us, but we're right on the lake. And apparently once a year, it's like when all of the bugs Mm. hatch off the lake and fly Mm. to the light. And so we were there and you couldn't see inside the cabin. You couldn't see past your hand. Wow. Wow. Um, because there were so many flies, like gnats, like little ones. And I was so completely freaked out. And, you know, now we're supposed to turn out all the lights. Like, how are we supposed to get rid of them? And I was bawling. And I remember my dad being like, what's the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> they're just folks. Yeah, but they're like, everywhere. Yeah. And I did it. I was like, that's so clear that that's not the answer I'm supposed to give. Yeah, right. So I was like. <laughs> I'm homesick. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah. You mentioned that was also inside the cabin. Yeah, no, they, it, they all got, I, we'd had the windows open oh. and we didn't know. And I don't know if we were out or we couldn't, we didn't figure it out fast enough or they all hatched at the same time, but inside the house, just full, you couldn't see your hand for all the bugs. Wow. And it was like, where do we go? What do we do? I'm like, you can't hide from this. It was so freaky. Go sleep in the car. <laughs> Harry. That, uh, yeah, that's, that's not fun. I'd say no. that covers one of our other questions. Has uh, anything in real life ever uh, scary ever happened to you? That, that checks that box. Yeah. <laughs> did you participate in Halloween as a, ch- as a kid? I did. Yeah. Favorite costume? I was a witch every year. Okay. <laughs> okay. Consistency. That works. <laughs> People were like, you're a witch again. I was like, I just like this. And <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised for someone who, uh, during the pre-call mentioned, uh, being a fan of chaos, <laughs> yeah. having the consistency of being a witch every year. Well, here's the thing. Chaos can't make plans. I so. was thinking that as uh, I was saying it. <laughs> it was, uh, just wait until the last minute and then, well, I guess I'll just be a witch. Yeah, no, it's, it, I don't even understand. Like, my husband will have, like, these Plans. intricate costumes and, like, he'll have spent all this time. And I'm like, where did you find the time? How does that even work when you planned your costume? You're right. Uh, least favorite? Well, I, I guess <laughs> normally we ask favorite <laughs> at least favorite, but if you're the same thing every year. Oh, one year I was a Ghostbuster. Hmm. And okay. like my costume was bad. Mm-hmm. I was like, this backpack with a hose on it is okay, right? And <laughs> it wasn't. And was it, <laughs> was it like just a transport backpack with a hose sticking out of it? Yeah. Oh god. It wasn't good. <laughs> I mean, as long as they understand what you what you're trying to be. Yeah. I don't know. I was sad about it. <laughs> I can understand that. <laughs> yeah. Any family members who are fans of horror? My dad. Um, but not a lot. I think he liked it because I liked it. So he took me to the fly on opening night and he oh. took me to aliens on opening night. Yeah. Awesome. And I remember watching, um, I rented Dawn of the dead because this counselor at camp had told me it was good. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I was going into fifth grade and I put it on and I, it scared the hell out of me. Right. It was like, Oh my God. And I remember mm-hmm. my dad coming in and sitting down. He's a doctor. And like blood is nothing to him. Like he's mm-hmm. like, whatever. So he's mm-hmm. sitting there and he just could not stop laughing. He thought it was the funniest <laughs> thing. 
<laughs> That's not the proper color of flesh for dead people. <laughs> yeah. I remember when like the motorcycle gang comes in and the, the arms left in this big monometer. And oh he was my like, God. Oh. Thank you. Thank you so much for bringing that up. That's like always a thing with me. Anytime anyone brings this movie up or just, just a pet peeve. Like why, why would you do this? There are flesh eating ghouls raiding the mall. Oh, now's a good time for me to put my arm in this blood pressure cuff thing. No. <laughs> It was such a gag. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, and then he laughed so much that I was like, I guess it's funny. <laughs> and I wasn't scared of it at all. There you go. You were in good company. Uh, let's see. Any scary dreams when you're a kid? Maybe uh, reoccurring dreams? Maybe clouds? Yeah. I dreamed I was on an island surrounded by... Um, monsters on the island, but they were like monsters I can control. And then off the island, if I tried to swim off the island, were like murderous monsters. Oh. So I couldn't figure out. So I, I had to get along with the monsters I was with. And then I also had to figure out how to get off the island. And I never figured that out. And that was a recurring dream. Like you kept coming back to this island? Yep. And I was like, it became more and more friendly, the monsters on the island, but the monsters, I was like, how, how am I going to get you guys off the island too? Like, <laughs> you know, how do we get out of here? How do you feel about your family? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, that is exactly where Steve is the psychology half of the show and I'm the horror half of the show because my mind initially uh, immediately goes to, it sounds like a combination of where the wild things are and the island of Dr. Moreau. And Steve's just like, you're trying to escape your family. The island is your family. <laughs> Serious question. How do you feel about your family? <laughs> Um, I, I, you know, I feel very, they've been incredibly supportive of me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as I've gotten older, Sorry. I've gotten closer to them. No, it's funny. I mean, obviously there's some, there's some stuff. <laughs> that was my dream. But now I just have my brother and my father and my mother, and we're all pretty close, you know, in the way that nuclear families tend to be when they're lucky. And, um, my mom died like two years ago oh, and well, thank you. But it's, it's also, you know, there's a poignance when you start to realize you may not have as much time left as mm. with them, you know, that life is precious. Yeah. And like, there's all these things that I'm remembering that they did for me as I get older and raise my kids that are really sweet. So it's a, it's a funny age to be. I'm 47. Mm. And some people's parents, they live to 100, but I'm not sure mine will. My dad, oh God, he's going to listen to this. So (laughs) I just want to, you know, there's so much kindness that they've shown me in my life Mm. that it's very valuable to me. And I'm trying to recognize it while I have the opportunity. That's a good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in a similar boat and I think Chris is as well. Chris and I have both each lost one parent so far and each have uh, another still with us. I don't know about Chris, but in my case, my father, it's funny because he's also done good things too, but he can also be a bit of a jerk sometimes intentionally. So, and, (laughs) and I get pissed off at him. I know he's probably not going to listen to this, but I get pissed off at him sometimes because I do think to myself, I'm like, we don't have much time left. Why are you being such a jerk? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, consistency is more important to him. Uh, well, <laughs> sorry. 
let's see. Uh, we already touched on the thing with the bugs. Was there anything else that actually terrified you as a child? You know what? So I was, this is like the craziest story. Like, this is kind of fun. Thank you for like giving <laughs> me my time to talk about myself. Sure. Um, yeah. We were in Florida on a family vacation and my parents had gone out to get food and my brother and I were watching Dracula. Maybe this is all the Dracula. And, and I was so freaked out. And a blackout happened as I had, this is the craziest story. Why am I telling this story? Where I had been, you know how like little kids will shave their legs? Like my girls, like they'll find a razor and they'll be like, oh, I decided to shave my legs, mom. And I'm like, don't do that. You're just little. So I had cut myself with a razor and I was bleeding and there was a blackout. And I was so freaked out that was Dracula was going to come and kill me. Uh. So that time, and my parents came back, and I was like bawling, so upset. And I like, and there was like this tissue, like (laughs) razor cuts, like bleed a lot. And so Mm. I kept, I had a box of tissues, Mm. and I was like, it just didn't stop bleeding. Like I kept putting more tissues on it, and it wouldn't stop bleeding. And I was like, oh my god, like (laughs) it's like a beacon. (laughs) You're probably pulling the scabs off without knowing it. Uh, no, it's it was like right, you know, where the foot curves. Like, oh. I don't know why I had decided to do this, and it was it must have hit something. It didn't hurt, but it must have hit something that just wouldn't stop bleeding. There's also the possibility that where you hit it, I mean, the foot is a bad area because all you have to do is move a little bit, and your skin pulls quite a bit. And so, even just a little bit of movement might have been enough to keep it from sealing properly. Yeah, that could be it. But nothing that triggered any lasting fears? No no phobias? No, I don't have any. Oh, I, have, I had asthma. Like, so I was, I, I missed first grade from asthma. Hmm. Like, it was pretty bad. And so, like, I've never been scuba diving, and I would never. Because hmm. that idea of, like, being forced to depend on air that's, like, in a tank hmm. is so terrifying to me. Okay. No, I wouldn't say that's necessarily a phobia. I would say that's logic. Yeah. (laughs) Some of our guests have reported that they have been a fan of horror since the very, you know, as far back as they can remember. Other guests have mentioned that there's basically like a line in the sand where they were afraid of it before a certain place and then started enjoying it after a particular place. It sounded like Dawn of the Dead. You definitely enjoyed that. The other stuff that you had mentioned was the line in the sand Dawn of the Dead, or was there something else prior to that that you said, okay, this is where I'm going to start enjoying this now? Or did you enjoy all of it? I always enjoyed it. Okay. There was, you guys are East Coasters, but I don't know, there was something called like WORTV. It was Channel 9. Okay. And in the summertime, it used to just run horror movies, like campy, campy horror movies. Mm-hmm. And like, from like, before dinner time from like five to seven every day, I was watching like Vincent Price and these weird, weird movies. Like I remember like a witch trial movie. I remember all of these just insane movies or like, was it midnight offerings with uh, Mary from little house on the prairie? What? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There were so many of these like hokey movies that they used mm-hmm. to run. And I just loved them. In the same vein of uh, unexpected actors from other things in uh, in horror movies, did they also have the Devil's Raid? Now, what was that? 
It's a weird movie from, I think, the 70s that um, ha- features an eyeless William Shatner and a goat-faced Ed Asner, I want to say. Uh, I bet it did, because that's that's exactly the kind of movie. Yeah, yeah. like when you're describing this, I'm just like, Devil's Reign. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing you enjoyed the campiness of it more than the... I don't think I understood it was campy at that age. Mm. I thought it was, like, mind-blowing. You know, I remember watching it being like, whoa, you know, mm-hmm. the Salem witch trials, but it was real witches or like, whoa, everyone's face is melting. And I, and I wasn't scared because those movies aren't scary, but I was like, mm-hmm. <gasps> I thought it was so cool. Yeah, yeah, I can relate. We got something here in Florida. It was a creature feature with Dr. Paul Bear Saturday afternoons. It would be cool if it was midnight, but uh, it was always Saturday afternoons. And Same vein, you know, it was like, Campy or older, just always interesting horror movies that you'd never seen before. Because it's like almost a, a indie vibe to it. Yeah, or the seat. Yeah, there's creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, there were so many fun movies that just were on TV all the time. What did you think was cool about it? Was it like, was it exciting? Was it the effects? Was it? Was there anything that you could identify that like this is the thing that you liked? I think I believed in magic. And I loved the idea of magic and anything that supported that belief, that kind of magical thinking was really exciting to me. And so like anything wild that happened or anything impossible with a narrative that showed how that worked was really cool. Okay. And then I liked being a kid, you know, I liked the story. I could tell myself that I was tough, right? Mm -hmm. Like if my friends didn't want to watch something like that, but I could, that meant I was tough. Right. It does. <laughs> Chris can speak to that. Yes. <laughs> All right. So what about teenagers? You mentioned Dawn of the Dead. What other horror in your teenage years jumps out to you? Oh, everything. Like every movie that came out. I loved King. I loved um, dystopia. So when I, by the time I was a teenager, I feel like I got really into, um, you know, Atwood and Bradbury and science fiction. Um, that was really fun for me. If you had to pick like the top three books or movies or whatever that from that time period, what would be the top three? I think the things that affected me were the Martian Chronicles. Yes. The Illustrated Man. Mm. I'm going to name a few. Okay. The Handmaid's Tale. Mm. It. Mm-hmm. And The Mist of Avalon. Which, like, I know we're not allowed to talk about her anymore, but it, it, she really, that was a book. Okay. Uh, let's go down the list. So what did you like about Martian Chronicles? Oh, gosh. Like, this, it's this joyful notion of life that Bradbury has, where everything is full of promise, and the world is new and fresh, and mm-hmm. but also told through this realistic point of view i mean his story is about the humanity not conquering but overcoming itself and and going to the stars and it's beautiful it i just read i robot last year and i feel like that's the same feeling where it's just the sense of beautiful wonder of what we are and who we are and you have to be a visionary to have that kind of point of view and not be mired in the day-to-day monstrosities what was the horror side of it 
the horror side of it. Oh gosh, remember the Martian who um who can be seen however he wants to be seen. He's the last Martian. Okay. I haven't read it, so I read um, it in high school, but that was seventy five thousand years ago, so I don't remember all the details. Um I do remember enjoying the book and yeah, I can't remember what it was, but all I recall is it was a a couple. I mean, there was a, a whole bunch of colonists, but it was a couple that were were growing up or not growing up on Mars, but they were, I guess, colonists developing their their new colony on Mars. But they would also interact with a Martian who, yeah, they, they had some sort of like almost like the end of contact where they just they portray themselves as what they want you to see them as, I think. Yeah, I mean, it- it it start like the first time Earthlings land, they kill the Earthlings. They like yeah. pretend to be home, mm-hmm. but then later the Earthlings, being Earthlings, take over, mm-hmm. and you have this um, the last Martian. And in the mm-hmm. end, people are seeing whatever they want to see, and they're you know they're seeing their their dead family members, and then you finally find this one woman who sees Jesus Christ. Wow! And it's so overwhelming for the Martian. I can't remember what happens to him. I think that might even be what kills him. Huh. The fact that she saw him as a uh, a god or a messiah. Mm-hmm. Like he, it was too much for him to portray that, I guess. Or it was just, it was so many people projecting so many things. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it was mm-hmm. creepy. You know, it's completely creepy from the perspective of, and I was raised super Catholic, right? So, I mm-hmm. mean, that's, that's a thing. Like, Catholics yeah. believe we eat, you know... <laughs> We're like zombies. <laughs> we eat people. That's um, true. So there's not, so not, much. Not, not people. One person. One person. Yes. yes. You're right. <laughs> You're right. We're not just willy nilly. Yes. So, <laughs> but this idea from someone else's point of view, mm-hmm. being Catholic and having someone projected Jesus onto right. is kind of horrific. And it sort of shakes up your religious notions. Or yeah. it shook up mine, I think. Illustrated Man, what did you like about that? I don't remember specifically the stories. I just remember picturing him, like the the, the tattoos telling the stories as he as he's rolling in the night. And it's sort of like it's it's I think if correct me if I'm wrong, it's it's told the narrator is like at a campfire or something beside the illustrated man and his tattoos tell the stories in the night. Hmm. And it's just it's so creepy and cool i liked that about it do you remember what was creepy about it i think i couldn't figure out is this the end of the world and it hasn't been said what does the rest of the world look like that these two are on their own these strangers what did you think was cool about it his writing was so strong and descriptive and beautiful and at the same time mundane so it was accessible mm-hmm. handmaid's tale what did you like about that one? Oh my gosh, that was insane to me. I grew up in a very Republican place mm-hmm. and feminism wasn't okay where I grew up. Girls had a place and it was, you know, second and you needed to be polite. So I don't think I recognized what Atwood was really doing in that story, mm-hmm. that sort of cautionary, anybody could be a theocracy because I was already living a theocracy, mm-hmm. but I still love this world. And I think in unconscious levels, it tapped into fears that I was unaware of. Any particular that you remember? 
just that she has no agency and she's constantly, was it Alfred? I just remember her like stealing away butter for her hands. And then the Colonel, these hypocrites, this, this corrupt system of total hypocrisy where no one believes anything. Mm. And the man of the house takes her out as his girlfriend, which is just apparently what they did. Right. Mm. And that was horrific to me. Yeah. That they didn't even believe it. That is horrific. Uh, oh, you mean the hypocrisy was horrific to you? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because I didn't read the book, but I've read about it. And my take on it was that the hypocrisy was not a bug. It was a feature, shall we say? Right. Yes, we know we're being hypocritical, but this is how we do things. I think as a kid, like that always shot. I could never... I didn't really understand corruption. I don't think anyone does. I think you have to live enough to know what that is. Maybe you didn't realize that's what you were living until you read it? Uh, no, I didn't realize till much later. Like I had to grow up and move on and have different experiences and be in a place that wasn't like all white and privileged, but also gilded, you know, kind of a cage and you know, to go to college and even there and then go to graduate school and live in New York and have these meet other people who had different ways of thinking mm. before I was disabused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I think it's just internalized. It, it's still something that's important to work on. Like I, I try as much as I can to be supportive of women because I think there's an instinct not to be. I think we've been taught not to be. Or I have. So so it's something that I try and be as conscious of as I can. I think it's, at least in my experience, it's been conditional. Yeah. Growing up that women will support each other in certain circumstances and then knock each other down in certain, certain, certain circumstances. And, of course, there are some women that will always be supportive and other women who will always knock down. But there's a lot in between where it's conditional. Yeah. What about it? What did you like about it? You know, it was the Dracula story, I think. Hmm. But it was also, it's just a fun, epic story. And I hadn't, I hadn't read any epics before that. And I loved the idea that it spanned all these years. And it was about these characters. And it got into this like love story. And it got into what corruption looks like. And the way that people turn blind eyes. I thought was pretty fascinating too. Like every year, this every few years this happens and everybody in this town of Derry just pretends it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Like, uh, especially reading it as a teenager and like, huh? So people really are pieces of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think particularly in it, it was, uh, the parents. Well, I don't know if it was expressed or implied because again, I haven't read it, uh, either, but from what I've, read about it that part of the parents or the adults doing that was supposedly influenced by the creature do you know what i mean okay really because i thought it was supposed to be like a representation of how humanity is at its core evil by nature but you know that's just my pessimism yeah right uh (laughs) my take on it was that it was it's a mixture of the two, and it was, I guess, more commentary on how easy it is to get adults to turn the blind eye. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. Combination of the two, maybe. Yeah. I guess yeah. asking 
uh, Sarah, since she is the only one of the three of us who has read it, would, would that be accurate? <laughs> <laughs> There's, you know, it worked on both levels. So on the one level, it was the monster got inside them in some way, and it was sort of pervasive and kept the adults from understanding what was really going on. Mm-hmm. Um, while the kids, because they were able to talk to each other about it and had been exposed, uh, were able to, um, combated. And then, you know, on the subtext level, I think it was very much about how um, in order to survive, you ignore a lot of things. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Both kids and adults, actually. Yeah. 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 Uh, what did, you mentioned it being a Dracula story. What do you mean by that? Oh, that's, it's a Dracula story. It's, it's uh, Bev is the center girl and the, all the boys are the support. And I mean, it gets, it's kind of, it gets kind of racy in ways that I think are problematic mm-hmm. in this era. Like I wouldn't let the girls read that until they were older. Cause mm-hmm. I think it's confusing for them to put into a context, but I think it's the logical pro- progression of, of the original Dracula story. So not so much related to Dracula as the topic, but it has the same uh, format as Dracula. Uh, it's the same format. It's the same theme mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. It's the same setup, too, of, of characters. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way before. Anyway, uh, you mentioned Mists of, uh, Mists of Avalon. What did you like about that? Oh, my gosh. It's like a feminist retelling of the Arthurian legend. And hmm. it was so exciting for me to see. I think it's Morgan Le Fay is divided into three separate women and we get to hear all of their stories and they, and they make sense. They have reasons for the way they act and they're not evil. They're the heroes because it's from their point of view. It's also just this ethic that's incredibly well researched and fun to just lose yourself into. Mm. And I had never read any kind of, you know, I, I think people forget how sexist the eighties were. So it was just not, it was a relief. <laughs> nice change of pace. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, I, Chris has heard me mention him probably a you know, hundred times now, but one of my favorite authors is Joseph Campbell. And he was sort of a professor of mythology or, or re- world religions. And one of his stories that I thought was fascinating was, a, a sort of a retelling of, you know, the the knight that goes to kill kill the dragon and rescue the princess and gets to marry the princess and and win you know the the, the dragon's treasures, and he he used this as an example of what he would say is people have forgotten how to read stories uh, symbolically. Uh, or metaphorically, and they get stuck with reading it as though everything is fact. And he used this as an example to say, you know, if you read that setting aside the symbolism, trying to read it as fact, you might come to the, the belief that guys are supposed to fight and kill things. And when, you know, women are meant to be prizes to be won, uh, which a lot of people do seem to have a, a mindset of like that. But he said, if you read it metaphorically, or symbolically that it applies to everybody. And the, the original meaning for it was that, you know, if you think about, for example, a kid who needs to study for a test, if you can slay that dragon inside of you that doesn't want to study for the test, there's two 
two things that you win there. One is the knowledge that you gained when from studying that you can then apply to the test. The other is the knowledge that you can, in fact, defeat your dragon. And it's that second experience that is symbolized by the virgin princess. Typically, it's a virgin. And the reason that it's a virgin is because the experience of defeating your own dragon is something that no one else can experience just from you talking about it. It's something you have to learn for yourself. And like you're talking about this feminist retelling of the Arthurian legend, like that was exactly like that was the first thing that came to mind was like, I could see how that could be extremely interesting to not only women, but of course, particularly women, you know, having the ability to have something reframed for you in a way that you'd never necessarily thought of just here. I'm a guy. And when I heard professor Campbell talking about that, I was just like, Holy shit that, you know, it really opened up my eyes in a lot of ways that I hadn't thought of before. I totally get that. And I totally get this idea of like cross identification. Like it's, it's, it's a limiting belief to imagine that a reader or a spectator or a viewer can't identify with someone of their opposite gender Mm. and extrapolate from there a host of meaning. Well, it's not even necessarily that they can't, but that a, a lot of times you just don't even think to until somebody puts it in front of you and you go, Oh shit, why didn't I ever think of that? You know what I mean? Well, I think women have been asked to do that forever. Fair. Yeah. Fair. So, <laughs> you know, we, we do know how, <laughs> but it's sort of, it gets tired. Yeah. I could see that too. Looking down at some of the other questions that we have here, what did you, I'm guessing you continued to participate in Halloween as a teen? No, I didn't. No. Like I, after like 13, I think I didn't go out for Halloween. Oh, it's not uncommon. More, uh, more partying, less trick or treating. I guess so. I was not, you know, <laughs> I you could lie and say I was partying. <laughs> <laughs> I was a party animal. I went to all of them. Everyone. I got invited to all the parties. <laughs> Well, so you mentioned being uh, brought up in a very religious uh, background. Other guests have discussed similar things, but then maybe there was a change at some point because there was a divorce. And I guess I'm even guessing that you started to break away from it at all, I'm assuming here. but I did, yeah. I'm guessing that happened later in life? or No, I, in my teens, like I, mm-hmm. I kind of thought – I was raised to – like. So Catholics, there's, there's a doctrine where if your children aren't Catholic, you go to hell. Like, you have to pass it on. Hmm. So there's that belief and there's that discomfort, right, that it's very important. But there was also, you know, my dad was educated in a Jesuit tradition, which is like, of course, they believe in evolution. And of course, you know, they, <laughs> it's like an, a wink and a nod, like, If you don't want to have a baby, don't have a baby, but don't talk about it. So just because I was, I was given the license to come to my own conclusions about things Mm. with religion, I just stopped going to church. I was like, I don't get this. I don't get that these people are showing up in fur coats, professing to be good people. Mm -hmm. The hypocrisy really bothers me. Hypocrisy has always bothered me. Mm. So I just didn't want to be involved. And I'm not saying like, you know, it's, it's, it's an unfair judgment to make on them in hindsight, because what was I doing? Was I saving the world? I was just staring at people and getting mad that they were in fur coats. 
But so I think by the time I was 15, I was trying consciously to think that there was no God and just to, to build from there. Like, what did I actually think? What conclusions was I coming from if I hadn't had any religious education at all? Mm. But that's impossible. So I just, you know, but, but I broke away pretty, pretty young from that. Okay. Moving into adult years then, what um, maybe top three influences or favorite things of horror in your adult years? Let's see. There's a lot. I would say, you know, I, I went to graduate school and uh, horror was so frowned on that they said I couldn't write it. And the same with college. So I was always like sneaking it, you know, <laughs> and I was never encouraged in it. But I think what what I kept thinking back on was was I was trying to replicate what was okay with them, with the profession, professors, because at the time, really, they hated horror. They hated any kind of genre. So I was looking at magical realism. So I would say like 100 Years of Solitude affected me and Beloved, which is definitely a horror story. And then I met people in the Horror Writers Association after graduate school and sort of it it made more sense to, to be in writing groups with them than it did with a lot of the people I'd graduated with who were doing straight fiction. So I worked with them and then I started, I met uh, Jack Ketchum, who, who, his real name is Dallas. And he was a big influence on me. Uh, he was really supportive of my work and of me. And I read his stuff and, you know, it's, it's excellent. Mm-hmm. It's got it's in some ways problematic, but um, yeah. but he's he's he was uh, a fantastic writer. So you mentioned um, Hundred Years of Solitude. There was something else you mentioned in the middle that I couldn't write down fast. Oh, Beloved. Beloved. That's what it was. Yeah, I mean it. It opens with like I think the first sentence, or maybe it's the first paragraph, says like the this house was full of baby's rage. Hmm. And it's just this whole story of this haunting mm-hmm. of a woman who murdered her baby to keep the slave masters from getting the child. Huh. And the house was possessed by the uh, angry spirit of the murdered baby? Yeah. Interesting. That's, uh, that's a difficult topic. What did yeah. you like about it? Yeah. So she tells the story, Morrison, in this sort of fabulous epic way where we start with the situation where it's the woman, maybe her name was Setha, but maybe that's her daughter, uh, is living in this house and it's haunted and she, her daughter Denver is still alive. And then this man comes to visit who's a former lover. And we just sort of go back in time to hear the whole story of how this happened and why it happened. And, and I mean, this is so spoiler full, but the healing behind the woman and what she's done, because she can't forgive herself for what she did to her baby. But at the same time, it is understandable Mm -hmm. because she had no control. She had no agency and she just didn't want them to have her child. What about uh, 100 Years of Solitude? Oh, I mean, it's the same thing where it's this clever, clever story uh, of a town and of a family and the family's struggles and travails through generations. And it's told very magically where 
Rebecca falls in love with this man and they have giant appetites. And when he dies, she returns to what she was doing before she met him, which is eating dirt. And it's like all these kind of wild, fabulous ways of telling things that also felt true. And uh, here's here's another spoiler, which is that the end of it, red ants come and carry the last of the line away, the baby. And I think the baby's born with a tail and the ants come and carry the baby away. Hmm. And so it's this circular, closed circle story of the family that ends disastrously. Mm-hmm. How is it circular? The line is ended. So you start at the beginning and you end with the, the ants carrying the child away. Oh, I thought you were saying that somehow that wrapped back around to the beginning of the book. No, I guess not. Okay. You mentioned you used the phrase told magically. Describe that. Well, you know, there's there's the realist way of telling something. Like I just reread Pet Cemetery, which is fantastic. What King does there is he he gives every detail and makes it completely realistic, where you know exactly how digging up a grave would work, and you know the tools you would need, and you would need you know how much the thing would weigh to pull up, and you'd know whether the stitches and the embalming fluid had been used, and you believe it for that reason. And so when the horror stuff happens, the horrific stuff, you believe that too, for that reason. Then there's this other way of doing things that I think works on an unconscious level, unconscious level where you have these magical realist stories where Kelly link, you know, she has a character walking off on a road and you know, the road's a metaphor, but you also are enjoying the ride, the, the story itself. And it feels real to you in ways that um, a concrete description would not, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm, when you're describing that, I'm getting a mental image of Pan's labyrinth, but. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't be like, these are the rules of Pan's labyrinth. These are the rules of this reality, because it's like there's something intuitive that we all sort of already think it's tapped into where Pan's labyrinth sort of exists for all of us, that world. Right. And you just and that's what I was going to say is you can make an argument about whether or not it's, uh, you know, just in the girl's head or whether or not you could, you could also interpret it as this magical symbolic tale too. Yeah. Okay. Um, do, 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 do. wanted to ask you, you mentioned something about, uh, so horror was frowned on in college and then you said something about trying to replicate what they were doing in an, uh, an acceptable way. What did you mean by that? So legit, I wasn't allowed to write horror. Right. And mm-hmm. so when I was in college, I was always tangentially touching horror and giving implications of horror without writing horror. And then I had uh, a an independent study where I was a allowed to write my own novella with my teacher and I was writing a ghost story that I wasn't telling her. And I was like, I I don't know how to do this without putting the ghost out, but I know she's going to say I can't. And she was, she was a good egg. And she finally said, are you writing horror? And I was like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I am. And she was like, well, we have to, we have to rip up the book selection that I have you reading and you're going to read different books now that are, that, will help you with this. And she let me do it. And uh, that was really good of her. She didn't have to. And then in graduate school, same thing. 
they openly said no horror, no science fiction, no nothing. So I was writing the Keeper in graduate school, and the ghost doesn't come out in the Keeper until it's page two hundred, and there's a reason, and it's because they weren't letting me. And then they finally figured out what was happening, and they took a vote. Like I remember the teacher saying, and she wouldn't do it now. I mean, they were all good people. It's just horror was so hated at the time for whatever reason that the teacher said, "Who thinks Sarah should take?" the horror out of this and the class all raised their hands wow. and i was like oh you think in my personality i'm gonna like this is just a challenge for me <laughs> <laughs> right like oh oh so you're all against me good yeah this is exactly <laughs> what i needed to hear so <laughs> so they were very much against it and then they just every I think everyone just gave up, you know, they were like, all right, she's going to do that. And it didn't sell because horror didn't sell. So I, I had to wait many years before I could get a career going for that reason. But I think the confusion a lot of a lot of people have is that writers have a choice over what their subject matter is. When in fact, no, I could never write dating romance books. That's just not what I do. And that was what was popular at the time. And it was like, why don't you just do that? And I was like, I don't think you understand. It's like, why don't I just become a doctor? Like, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> it's what speaks to you. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, like with things, you know, other medium like uh, painting or visual arts. Sure. People can be like, I don't know. Why don't you just draw horses or why don't you just draw shitty abstract art for the background at McDonald's? You'll make money. And that is possible with a visual medium. But yeah, with writing, it's not so easy. You can't just, you know, write a I don't know, rom-com, if that's not your interest, it's going to come out bad. Right. Yeah, that's exactly the thing. It's like, sure, I'll try. It'd be a waste of everybody's time. Well, my daughter, <laughs> yeah, my daughter, uh, there were school elections for her elementary school, like, you know, elementary president of the school? student body. Yeah, it's cute. President mm. of the student body, vice president, secretary, green chair, and mm. something else, right? And she started to get nervous and she, cause she wanted to run for president. And she was like, what if I ran for secretary? And I was like, well, would you rather run for secretary and win or run for president and lose? And she was like, I'd rather run for president and lose. And <laughs> she wrote her speech and her speech was like what a leader writes. You know, it was like, you know, if elected, these are the things I want to do. And this is my plan. And I want to listen to all of you. And I mean, these are the suggestions I've already received. And it was, and I thought, she couldn't have written a speech for secretary because she, that's not her, who she is. Mm. She couldn't have been like, I'll enjoy being backup and helping out. Like, no, she wouldn't. She would never enjoy that. So I think we are what we are. Mm -hmm. So did she win? Yeah, yeah she did. Good. Awesome. Good for her. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. Yeah. When I said a couple seconds ago that, you know, it's about what, you know, what touches you. That's, Again, also ties in with what we're doing here with this whole show. So, yeah. good stuff. <laughs> so, in your adult years, have you started participating in Halloween again? Uh, yeah. So, when my husband and I were in Brooklyn, we used to have a Halloween party every year, mm. which was awesome. super fun. And then, then our daughter was born and it's like, it's like everyone says, it's like, and then we didn't have those parties anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then fun not died. Adult, no. yeah, not adult parties anyway. <laughs> we just sat at home and cried. Um, <laughs> All of your other friends that have babies bring their babies over and you dress the babies up. Yeah. There you go. 
baby Halloween. Yep. yep. No, it was cute. So, and then, and then, you know, what, what Halloween was changed, but we still celebrated here in, in Los Angeles. The girls go trick or treating. We take them trick or treating and we take them to the neighborhood we live in is sort of um, close knit. So we take them to friends' houses and stuff like that. Do you dress up? I do. Yeah. <laughs> Not much. as an adult? Still a witch? Yeah, like, like I wore like a black dress with a cape. <laughs> that's, that's, that's something. That's a modern witch. With, you know? Yeah, I was just going to say, still yeah. going with the witch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My husband was, I think he was Steve Brule. <laughs> that name sounds familiar. Why is it? Steve it's that actor who's really silly and he does, he does, a, he has a comedy show and it's like the Steve Rule show. Just like super deep dive stuff. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. It's a character from Tim and Eric. I think it's done by yeah. uh, John C. Riley. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. You have seen the meme and or the gift, Steve. I guarantee you it's, it's uh, yeah. I'm looking at it here. Yes. I looked it up. I, I recognize it now. Yeah. <laughs> That does sound like a fun fellow. I, I would just be making that face at everyone all night. Hmm? <laughs> uh, least favorite costume? Anything that's not a witch? It's not a witch. Well, the Ghostbusters. No, I'm joking. That, hmm? yeah. yeah. No, I was, I was joking that your least favorite costume is anything that's not a witch. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> well, I was Rosemary's baby one year, when, or I was Rosemary. Pregnant yeah, right, like, in that outfit baby. when I was pregnant with Clem, and that was nice. probably my best outfit because people That's were awesome. like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, any scary or reoccurring dreams as an adult? Uh, zombies. I haven't had it in a while, but it's like something's coming. Mm-hmm. Something's coming. And then the other one I've had my whole life is I'm at a bleacher, like those those bleachers from high school. Mm-hmm. And you know how they're kind of steep? Yep. And I used to have to run up and down them and track, and it always, like, frightened me. But in my dream, the bleachers keep getting steeper and steeper, mm. and I can't run, and then I'm crawling, and then I can't crawl because it's too thin, and I'm just hanging on by my fingers trying not to fall. Mm. Okay. There's there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There could be a lot of different options, really. There's fear of falling, fear of, you know, pressure or being uh, crushed because the bleachers have the way they compact, uh, fear of things disappearing, fear of bleachers. Just is there a bleacher phobia? Or, I mean, it could just be a general fear of, uh, you know, change power. She's mentioned agency a couple of times in the in the call. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not having not having control, basically, at that point. Let's jump down. So we've got a couple of wrap-up questions here, maybe seven, eight, nine questions that are, these are not just about horror, but in general and cover your entire life, not any one particular section. But uh, I'm going to give you two questions at the same time because it could be the same answer for both or could be different. But um, And typically we, we ask these about movies, but we'll accept books in your case as well since you're uh, potentially – maybe more on the literary side, but we normally ask, what is your favorite movie and what movie have you watched more times than any other? <sighs> That's so hard. I know the um, first one is really difficult, isn't it? It's like, what? Uh, so I have to name one. Usually, <laughs> usually from a psychological standpoint, the it's whatever comes to mind first. Okay. So what came to mind first and always comes to mind first is the ring. 
but I haven't watched it that many times. Yeah, it can be two different films. And then the other one is Anytime the Fugitive's on, I watch it. Ah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But I haven't okay. watched that that many times. Uh, what do you like about The Ring? Oh my God, it scared me. And I don't get scared as an adult. And it was terrifying to me. What scared mm-hmm. you about it? At the time, I was having a lot of asthma problems because I had worked downtown when the, the trade centers uh, were hit oh. and for a while afterward. And so I was sort of experiencing my own mortality at a younger age than you should have to. Right. And I went and saw The Ring and it was so scary. And I think it's because The Ring is about the inevitability in a lot of ways of death. You know, it's it's one like violence is viral, right? That that's the one story. But the other story is like seven days, and there's nothing you can do, and yeah. then it's over. Yeah. And it really hit me. The inevitable so, ticking of the clock of just lack of existence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And what's there? You yeah. Know? Right. And Who knows? That horror is it's it's like horror is always a little bit optimistic because it seems to imply that there is something there yeah right like that's the more optimistic view the, the of course uh just no pessimistic view is nothing you're dirt which is funny because we always fear death but if you do subscribe to the atheist belief that you know there's absolutely nothing afterwards it should be shouldn't be fearful or reassuring it's just like yeah it's gonna happen well, I mean, it, for me at least, the fear that I have is that you know I'm enjoying life and I don't want it to stop. So, yeah, regardless of whether or not there's anything after it, I I don't care what's after it. I I don't want to still don't want to miss out on what's going on here. It's like the kid who doesn't want to go to bed because the parents are downstairs <laughs> watching TV. I I want to participate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a little selfish of you, Steve. Well, fuck it, it's me. <laughs> yeah. What about the fugitive? Yeah. It's just fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, it's just joy fun. I, I can't even, like, every time it's on, it's so tight. It's such a tight story. And you're just watching Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones do their thing. Just love it. It's more like the action adventure part of it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the two questions that we were asking there is favorite movie and which one have you watched more times than any other? I think you were answering favorite here. Which one would you say yeah. you've watched more times than any other? That's hard. I, I having a hard time like, Oh, you know what? It might be the hunger games. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's the hunger games. Any reason? Why was that one? The one, the one that you've seen? The <laughs> I most? love it. <laughs> like a, I have arrested development. It's like embarrassing for me to say, but it's just like, I love that story so much. It makes me so happy. How, how so? Um, it's, you know, she's got to fight against all these odds. She's a hero. It's this world that's larger than she is, but she figures out how to make space for herself inside of it. Um, okay. she's, she keeps her humanity. Also, she almost shoots that guy with an arrow. Yeah. Take that. Yeah. No, I mean, like I rediscovered that when my kids were of age to watch it and we read all the things, we read all the books together. And then I, of course I read them all like four more times and like <laughs> we watched all the movies and then they were like, mom, you don't have to keep watching the movies. And I was like, 
<laughs> you don't understand. I'm not doing it for you anymore. <laughs> I was like, uh... <laughs> but I don't have to not keep watching them, right? Yeah. 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 Cool. So the reason that we asked those two questions are because uh, it'll either underline uh, underscore things that you've already said, or maybe introduce something new that we haven't talked about. In this case, it sounds like both of those or all three of those things underscore things that we've already talked about. You know, the inevitable inevitability of death and fate is a power agency thing, but also so is the hunger games. I mean, it, it's, it's except that one is uh, shall we say successful and the other one is not <laughs> looking back on what kinds of horror you like uh, over your entire life. Do you see any kinds of common threads, cannibalism, occult metaphysical? So, the subgenre is like, I love a haunted house. I love anything haunted. I love anything supernatural. That's kind of scary to me, but if it gets gross, I kind of turn off and it doesn't, not necessarily because I'm squeamish. Mm -hmm. Do you see grossness as kind of a cop out or a, a a shortcut? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, well, I guess now it's funny. Like, what am I supposed to be thinking now? Okay. So before I ask the last couple questions, let me just, give the summary of the things that I have heard. And it sounds like you probably already are aware of some of these things, but obviously agency, some power and control there, inevitability tying in somewhere with the, you know, asthma and breathing issues, obviously also being a a personal trigger for that. Also enjoying the humor of things. uh, Cause you mentioned the campy stuff and also watching some of the movies with your dad, where he was laughing. I think, I think we got a handle on the the fear part of it, maybe not so much the enjoyment part of it, but I don't know that I don't know that there necessarily needs to be a more specific thing than just to say I like it. Well, but, hmm? yeah, no, I I think I like it because it you know it's it's sort of a dry run on your fears that you get to sort mm-hmm. of exercise because okay. the sandbox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the campy stuff, it's like, it's sort of making light of those fears, Mm -hmm. which I enjoy. Oh, looking back through my notes, I saw hypocrisy came up a couple times. Uh, Magical um, believability. That stuff came up a couple times. I don't, I actually don't feel like I need to ask the next question, which is typically, do you have any idea why it is that you like those things? Because Obviously, agency and uh, hypocrisy are pretty clear reasons why people wouldn't like those things or be concerned about those things. So let's jump to the next question, which is then why horror? Because couldn't there be other genres that uh, touch on those same things? Um, could there? I just, I don't. Suspense thriller, maybe? But it's kind of on the same thing. It's- I, I guess suspense thriller doesn't really go dark. Usually it's like, and then you didn't know that the character was really, you know, their step parent. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, ah, oh, and that's not, those reveals are, I don't, I get less out of them than I do from horror. The horror reveals are just like, Oh, it got worse. It got creepier. <laughs> and I like that. Well, particularly what I was thinking about is in terms of, for example, the agency or the hypocrisy. I mean, that I would think both of those things could come up in a number of different genres, anything from dra- dra- uh, drama to war movies to 
I'm not sure what else off the top of my head, but. Well, I mean, I love, I love just good movies, right? So, so Chinatown is fantastic. And I would say it's a horror movie and it's about hypocrisy. It's about corruption or, you know, the Maltese Falcon or there's so many that, that sort of address that thing as, as long as they're well done. But I think, I think you could say that there is a theme and that they're all sort of horrific in some way as well. Is there anything you've thought of that might be relevant that hasn't come up on the call? Anything that you thought of that we didn't ask about? The one thing I'm thinking about is just in, you know, I've chosen this career. We all have where you can do your best, but you're a little bit at a mercy at the mercy of the tastemakers and the audience and the industry. And I think while I may be looking for agency in my own life, I also think that I'm just also in this business that feels unreliable and I love it. I wouldn't do anything else, but you know, I, I tell my kids like, you know, law is a good profession. (laughs) Yeah. As you were saying this, I'm thinking, well, that's such as life. (laughs) Yeah. Life is, life is unreliable. It's true. It's true. Well, cool. Is there anything before we hit the closing, anything you want to pitch on the way out? My next book is called Mom's Night Out, and it's coming out in 2024, early 2024, from Simon & Schuster. Atria is the publisher, and I'm excited about it. I have a, you know, I'm revising the manuscript now. And then I have another novella I forgot to mention called You Have the Prettiest Mask with uh, Small Beer Press. And I actually think it's the best thing I've, I've written. So if anyone's interested, they should get it. Yeah. We'll put together a bio for you and we can link to whatever you'd like to there. So yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Pleasure speaking to you and thank you to anybody out there listening. Uh, please support us on Patreon, buy us a coffee. Uh, we've got merch. Uh, just come let us know how we're doing or mixes happy.com. <laughs>